So good morning and welcome to the Sunday service of Free Community Church. Thank you for joining us today, uh, whether you're on site or online. Um, so let's take a moment to greet one another. Uh, so if you are on site, um, you may turn, you know, turn around, look around, uh, and give each other a smile or a wave. And if you're joining us uh, online, uh, please type a greeting in the chat, and our moderators will be there to respond to your messages. So as we enter into this sacred time, please rise in body or in spirit and join me in the, in the call to worship. Come, walk in green pastures. We follow, follow the, the shepherd. shepherd. Come, lie down in green pastures. We, we trust, trust the, the shepherd. shepherd. Come, dine at the table of abundance. We, we are, are fed by, by the shepherd. Come, dwell in God's house. We, we live in the shepherd's, shepherd's care. Loving shepherd, you know our names. You care for us. When we face darkness and death, walk beside us. When we hunger for your love, fill us with your presence. When we are fearful, feed us at your table. May we, May we dwell, dwell in the house of goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. Amen. Amen. So let's remain standing and join our hearts and voices in a time of praise and worship. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing. Of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so the goodness of God I love your voice you have led me through the fire darkest night you were close like no other I love you as a savior and I have lived on the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have 
Please be seated. Please join me for a time of prayer. O oh God, whom to know is to love, and whom to love is to find true life. Thank you that we can be here this morning. We are grateful for you shepherding us through a week of work, of travel, of learning, of play. O oh God, your people have always had their fears. So we come to you in humility and with honesty, naming our own. Lord, we fear the future. What is coming next? Will there be a place for me when I'm done with school, we young people ask. Will there be safe places for our children, we parents ask. Will I have a good and meaningful life, we adults ask. Will I die in peace and with dignity, we seniors ask. 
Lord, we fear the pain that comes with illness and broken bones and aging. Some of us wonder how we can possibly face chronic illness. Some of us wonder if prayers for healing are worth saying. Physical pain frightens us. Lord, as a church, we wonder about our ministries and programs. What if they don't work? What if we're unable to get along? What if other people take us for granted? What if no one notices that I'm struggling? We fear having to open our hearts to each other and to completely trust and be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are afraid of people who are different from us, those more powerful than us, those poorer than us, those of a different color or creed, those smarter than us, those with different personalities. How do we talk to people who are different, oh God? How do we follow the example of Jesus, whose love has no boundaries? God, we're also afraid of stillness and quiet. It seems as if the last thing we want to do is embrace the simplicity of prayer, scripture, and your presence. We are afraid to say no to the countless obligations and activities that distract us from doing what is most needed. And for all those fears that we cannot name because they're either unknown or unspeakable, receive them in our silence. There is more. <laughs> We are fearful so often, O oh Lord, because in our encounters with sin and opposition, we find ourselves weak and poor. In our fears, draw us to you that we can have a greater awareness of your love and nearness, which are our strength and our riches. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Shines 
Good morning, church. So glad to see everyone here this morning. My name is Gary, and I'm so glad you're together here with us as we go into the Word this morning. I just want to say a huge shout-out of gratitude first for our wonderful service teams that make all of these hybrid Sunday services possible, especially those people who maybe are not seen, like Molly, who makes the coffee on the way in, or the welcome team who tries to make us feel home the moment we come in through these doors. 
or the production team who are responsible for coordinating the live worship recordings as well as making sure that we can include people online this morning. So a big shout out to you and a big thank you for making this happen week in and week out. Can we give them some praise and a round of appreciation? And also, a very big shout out to you if you are joining us here, whether for the first or second time here at FCC, whether you're physically here with us this morning or you're joining us online right now, or maybe you're watching this sometime later in the week. We are so, so grateful that you have taken the time to worship with us and receive the ministry of the Word this morning. Today, we are going to continue our series on Wholeheartedly, and we're going to build on and what we have learned over the last few weeks and speak about the topic of belonging today. So we can switch the slides over. We're going to re get into the Word. But before we do that, would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin our time together this morning? Dear God, I want to give you thanks for each and every person that is here and present today. I pray, God, that you'll speak to each one of our hearts today in the way that we need to see you and receive you as we encounter you in the Word this morning. I pray that you will let the living Word today come alive in our hearts and enable us to see you clearly and be open to your work in our lives today. I pray that through the time together that we share in this service, we can all say that we have encountered the living God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. So today we're going to be talking about identity and belonging. And I want to start with this quote from Brene Brown from a book, Atlas of the Heart, in which we have been basing this sermon series on. So this quote from Atlas of the Heart says, We have to belong to ourselves as much as we need to belong to others. Love and belonging are irreducible needs for all people. And in the absence of these experiences, there is always suffering. So today I want to speak about how belonging is actually on the heart of God and how belonging is actually not just on the heart of God, but it's also the mission of God. And Brene Brown calls out that there are actually two aspects to this belonging. The first aspect of this belonging is how we belong to ourselves, and the other aspect is how we belong to others. So let's look at the first aspect of belonging. And as we get into our time together, I would like to invite you to think about this statement, belonging to yourself. What do you think this means? And today, if you have your phone with you, I would like to invite you to take it out and share your answers and contribute to this sermon using Mentee. So if you have got your phone or if you're joining us online, you can go to your browser, you can enter in fcc.ly forward slash Mentee. Or you can go to menti.com and enter that code 33249623 and this allows you to follow along the slides and contribute anonymously to today's sermon. So let's see your contributions. What does it mean to belong to yourself? Boundaries. Self-couple. Hmm, I wonder what that means, self-couple. Acceptance that you are creation precious to God. Self-mastery, self-control, belong to Christ, 
feeling at home in your body, loving yourself, accepting yourself, embracing yourself, being true to yourself, having self-control, loving myself what's and all, earning what my job deserves. <laughs> That's true in the sense that you need to not compromise who you are when you actually are working and you've got to be true to yourself as well and aligned to being, to being employed justly. Embracing our personhood, including the flaws, fragility, emotional and physical limitations. Self-care, loving myself and accepting myself as I am. Thank you for all of your contributions. So, I want to move forward and share with you what Brene um, believes true belonging looks like. And she says that for her, true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in being both a part of something as well as standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And the way that we believe in and belong to ourselves first comes down to how we understand our worth or our worthiness. And we are told, as we go through life, we are told by the world that we live in every day how much we are worth whether it is the way that people react to the way that we look or how we behave or maybe the size of our bank accounts, who we know, the families that we are born into, the jobs that we have, the titles that we carry, the colour of our skin, our educational qualification, the accolades that we have. This is how the world measures how much we are worth and imprints on us that so too should we judge the worth of others based on these same yardsticks. And while we don't do this consciously, I wonder how many of us might admit that we treat people differently based on what we think that they are worth to us and to others. You know, for some of us who are sitting here in this service and who make we call this church home, we have at one time been told that we are not worthy even to be a child of God because of our sexual orientation or our gender identity or our HIV status or how we believe God or because of something that we may have done. And let me put it right out there on the onset that the Christian witness is that all of these ways of understanding worthiness is simply not God's plan for any one of us. And I want to take us to Genesis. And at the start of Genesis, we read the creation story where the writer of Genesis narrates God's intention for the world. That out of beauty, uh, sorry, out of darkness, void, and chaos comes light, order, beauty, goodness, wholeness, and shalom. And we have learned in the past that shalom is the way God intended things to be. And maybe you've been in church for a while and maybe you've been taught that because of the sin of the first Adam, we are now fallen beings and are no longer worthy 
to be with God. We are now separated from God. And unless that we believe that Jesus died for us as a scapegoat or as a sacrifice for all of our sins, then only can we be made righteous again to be in God's presence and to be worthy of God's love. But is that what really happened? And I want to take us to Genesis chapter 3, you see on the screen here. And I want us to just go through this passage of Scripture together. It's a very familiar piece of Scripture, but I want to maybe help us see the Scripture with some new eyes. And in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, it says here that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You, will, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sowed thick leaves to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and, the, and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The woman replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. You know, today when I read this passage of Scripture, I don't know about you, but I slightly get annoyed with myself that at one time, I actually believed that I was reading a factual historical account of creation rather than what it really, I think, is, which is a story. Firstly, we need to deal with the issue of a talking serpent. Hello? which even children can clearly differentiate a story versus a historical account. But I want to say that taking the Bible seriously, sorry, taking the Bible seriously doesn't mean that we have to take it literally. And this story is still very important for us to explore because right here in the interaction between the serpent and the woman, we have to deal with three very important questions. The first question is how we understand God in the same way that the woman has to learn how she has to understand God. Number two, how we understand God sees us. And number three, how we understand the relationship between God and humanity. And in the story, the serpent looked at a woman who thought God was love and said to the woman, God was not love. 
The serpent looked at the woman who thought she was who, who thought she was whole and beloved and said, No, you are not. You don't have the relationship with God that you thought you had. The serpent looked at the woman who was made in the image of God and said, No, you are not made in the likeness of God. The Bible said it was only then, after receiving the words of the serpent, that she then saw that the fruit was good. She never saw the, the fruit that way until she saw herself differently and she saw God differently. And when she saw God differently, she saw everything around her differently. So the serpent tells this woman that she has a sickness that she did not have, gives her a cure that she does not need, and enters her into a sickness of unbelovedness leading to shame. And as a result of what they had done, they felt ashamed and created a covering for themselves with fig leaves and went to hide. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. The first covering that the humans created was not a covering for the sin that they actually had committed, right? The woman saw the fruit with her eyes, picked it with her hands, ate it with her mouth, digested it with her stomach, and yet the covering that they made had nothing to do at all with the eating of the fruit. What did they do? The covering that they made was a response to shame. And they covered their sexuality, even though they had not sinned sexually. And now I want us to see something very important that happens next. Our traditional Christian understanding is that the human condition, the human, our understanding, our traditional understanding of the human condition is that our union from God is separated as a result of the fall. When Adam and Eve hears God coming, they hide behind the trees. Now I want to ask, who went to hide? Was it God who went to hide? Or was it Adam and Eve who went to hide? And you can see here that even though they had sinned and they didn't feel worthy, God still comes to find them. God still wants to take care of them in their place of need. And while they sowed their fig leaves, God creates these garments for them. And just like Adam and Eve, while we can't be separated from God, whether we think that we are unworthy or whether we are, you know, in our state of shame, we certainly can feel estranged from God. We can feel distant from God or be uncomfortable with God. But what we have been taught in church growing up is that when people sin, God separates and hides because the holiness of God is defined by God's incapacity to sin. So then you need to have sacrifices to allow God to have the capacity to, to be with sinful people. And that's what sometimes people understand as the process of salvation is, or being saved, right? Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins. But that's not the story in the garden. Eve sinned, Adam sinned, and God still came. Yes, they hid, so there is a distance now, but it's an emotional distance caused by the diminished sense of worth and the shame that they carried around the incident. We earlier sang a song as we were coming into the sermon for a time of worship called Rejoice. And this was actually written by our worship team, members of our worship team, including Zhao, Kenny and John, for FCC's 10th anniversary. That was 10 years ago. And I think that 
Today, it is still one of the most powerful testaments and declarations of the truth of your worth and my worth. That worth is not based on the circumstances that we are going through. And neither is it based on any of our actions or any of those things that we actually think are important. This song, Rejoice, is actually based on a teaching by Jesus across the entire of Luke chapter 15, where Jesus was specifically addressing the issue of worth and belonging to ourselves. And we're going to jump into Luke chapter 15. It says here in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, Now all the tax collectors and sinners, including non-observant Jews, were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes begin muttering and complaining, saying, This man accepts and welcomes sinners and eats with them. So I want us to picture the scene for a moment. Jesus is going about his ministry, his teaching, and he hears this complaint coming in, this criticism coming in, and it's coming in from the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. And what is this criticism? That Jesus accepts, welcomes, spends time with the tax collectors and sinners. The people who the religious leaders have deemed that Jesus should be separate from, right? Because they themselves have made it a point to live their life separate from these people. Jesus, if you are the Son of God like you say you are, why would you receive these unclean, sinful people who are unworthy to approach a holy God? You, Jesus, should be ashamed of yourself. You are holy and should be setting yourself apart from these people. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, they're actually not the bad guys that we sometimes make them out to be. They were then the pastors and priests of their times. They were the good guys. They were supposed to help people to connect with God. But like the rest of society, they saw life the same way, that worth is earned. You have to live a consecrated life. You have to study the Torah. You have to make sacrifices to atone for your sins. You have to pray for hours. You have to cleanse yourself and keep yourself away from anything that is unclean or sinful. You have to earn your worthiness. And based on that logical, reasonable, sane perspective, they criticize Jesus for it. They, the Pharisees, have earned the right to value the worth of others based on the level of commitment that they were living their lives at. And for them, since that was true, then worth must be earned. And the correct response to live is to then live lives that are separated from others who are less worthy. So, by claiming, Jesus, that you are God, you must be flawless and perfect. So why would you associate yourself with these people who are less than, who are unclean, who are unworthy? But you know, we know the story, right? Jesus just doesn't, doesn't just befriend those who are lowly and humble and have been beaten down. Jesus spent time with loan sharks, pimps, prostitutes, people who have beat themselves down or were beating other people down. Jesus didn't just know these people by name. He went out to them and spent time cultivating a relationship with them. The same issue that Jesus was dealing with then is the same issue that we deal with within ourselves and in the world today around worthiness and identity and belonging to ourselves. 
And so Jesus, in all his wisdom, gets ready to respond to these complaints. And what does he do? He shares three parables or three stories, right? Jesus always loved to use stories and parables to teach people so that people can be brought into the story, so that people can picture the story and use their imagination. And he always told stories that were about familiar scenes so that people could easily see and picture themselves in the scene. But then these stories would have an unusual twist to them, right? And depending on who you were listening to it, it would have a different layer of meaning to you. And these three stories in Luke 15 are actually very familiar to many of us. And they follow actually a similar pattern to each other in all of these three stories. We're going to quickly look at them for those people, you know, maybe to, to have a new perspective of how Jesus sees worth. And the first story comes from Luke chapter 15 and verse 3. And here we see a shepherd with a hundred sheep. And what happens? The shepherd, the shepherd loses a sheep, goes out to look for it, finds it, is joyful and throws a party. And here you can see that in verse 3 it says, So he told this parable, What man around, among you, if he has a hundred sheep, loses one of them? And this is, to the people listening, a very relatable story because many of them then were shepherds. Many of them knew about shepherds tending sheep. But then very quickly, Jesus jumps to the twist in the story. Does he not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, searching until he finds it? So here's the twist. Doesn't he leave the 99 to look for the one? And the people who are listening to it are thinking, absolutely not. No logical person does that. 99 is greater some value than one. This is illogical. The shepherd is leaving 99 behind. Who is going to be protecting the 99? If you're a shepherd, you're thinking, this is completely ridiculous because the logical way that you should be thinking about this is to protect the 99 since there's no guarantee that you will find the one that went missing. Because while you're doing that, you are risking the entire flock as well. But what is Jesus already beginning to tell us about the nature of God and the way God looks at the value and worth that, of people that's different from the world? Then we have the second story in Luke 15, verse 8. And it's the same pattern. We see here a woman instead who has 10 coins, loses one, goes look for it, finds it, is joyful, and throws a party. And in verse 8, it says, Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins, each equal to one day's wages, and lose one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, in the original language, this sweep the house is better actually understood as turn the place upside down. And if you're listening to it, and the women are listening, who does that? That's not logical. It is the middle of the night. You're lighting a lamp. It's one coin. Do a better job at keeping your other coins safe. And while you're thrashing the place and turning it upside down to find that one coin, guess what? You're going to lose all your other coins in the process. And then verse 9 goes on to say, And when she finds it, she calls together her women friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found the lost coin. And so we see here that what's not logical about this story is that after she finds the coin, she spends that money to go and throw a party that costs more than that coin. 
What is Jesus here telling us about how God values people, especially those who do not yet know how much they are worth? And while all of these stories are being told, what's going on in the minds of those people listening, both the tax collectors and the sinners on one side and the religious leaders on the other side, and they're thinking about all of these twists and turns in the story, Jesus launches into the third story. And this is the one that, you know, we are all most familiar with. It is the story of the prodigal son. And it follows the same pattern, but there are some differences about this story. I wonder if you're thinking, you know, based on what you know about the story of the prodigal son, what do you think could be one thing that is different about this third story, especially when you compare it to the first two? I invite you again to put your responses on mentee. What is one difference that you, you see in the third story? The ratio of lost versus not lost. Very good. 101, um, 10, 1. This one, just two sons, right? The sons surrender and return to the father. Interesting, willful, intentional loss. Yes. He came back to his own. The elder brother, a narrative role absent in the others. The son left on his own terms and chose to return and not found. You're right. For me, the one difference that stands out with the sheep is that the sheep is a beast. The coin is an inanimate object, but with the two sons, they had the ability to decide. That, for me, stood out most. And in this third act, when Jesus is telling the story, he knew that the religious leaders hearing it were not on the side of the decisions of the younger son, right? Because these people were taught the law for hundreds of years, and the older son was the logical one, and the younger son, he was the wasteful one. And I love the story of this parable and the heart of all of this playing out in the story. And if you are interested in going through this story in detail, Pauline went into depth in, in her sermon two weeks ago in a sermon worthy to love. And I encourage you to go and read that. It was an amazing um, exposition of this passage. But in her sermon, she reminded us that the younger son did not take a straight path from child of the devil to child of the father. The beautiful reality of the youngest son's journey was a circular journey. His salvation was to come home to belong to who he always was. The young the son had union with the father, and then he loses sight of his identity in his mind because of the decisions he made, and his, in his shame, plans to return to the father to ask him to take him back as a farmhand, as an employee, because he's no longer worthy to be called his child. And so the son rehearses all the way home. And then down the road, as he was approaching the home, comes an old man, half hobbling and half running. And the old man throws himself on the boy. And the boy covers himself because he thinks he's about to get beaten. But instead, it is nothing but love that covers the boy not the fists of an angry father, and certainly not blood. Love covers the boy. 
But we see what happens, right, in the story. Instead of receiving the father's love that covers his shame, what did the younger son say? I am not worthy of this. I do not deserve this. You are doing this wrong, father. Make me a servant. And then we see what's the father's first word out of the father's mouth. Quickly, he shouted it, quickly, and then rewards the son with the remainder of his worth and sonship and celebrates him by throwing a lavish party. The other difference, of course, as you all picked it up, is that the story of the lost son is also the story of the elder brother. And we see in the, the story that the elder brother wouldn't come in to the younger son's party because he tells the father, you have never thrown one of these for me and I've been here slaving my whole life. So while the younger brother was estranged from the father in a faraway country, the elder brother was estranged from the father on the front row of his household. And, because, and both of them were lost. Not because of a fall, not because the father was so holy, but because they had both lost their identities of who they were and their relationship to the father. These three stories let us know the heart of God and the way that God values people, whether it is the image of Jesus as the shepherd who loses a sheep, the Holy Spirit as the woman who loses a coin. And did you actually know that the Holy Spirit is rendered in the feminine always in the Greek? Or the Father in the third story as God the Father who loses two sons. So it's not about sheep, coins, or sons getting lost. It is about people who are losing their true identity. Why does God draw near to those who are seen as unworthy, who have lost their identity and no longer believe in or belong to themselves? Whether it is in the creation story or in the parables that Jesus taught, when it comes to people, God operates differently from the way the world sees worth. What a person does or doesn't do does not determine their worthiness to God. And I want you to know that if you ever lose sight of that identity, God will leave everything behind to pursue you and restore your identity and belonging to God. And so that's what I think that Brene Brown means when she says, true belonging requires you to be who you are. True belonging requires you to be who you are. And that is that you are a beautiful, beloved, worthy child of God that is made wonderfully in the image of the one who created you. The, world does, the way the world determines worth doesn't work with God. God doesn't compare who is better just because we come to church or make good, wise decisions or have a seminary degree or a title in the church. God says that that may be your math, but that's not my math. That might be your logic, that's not mine. And that's why I think that the, the beauty of the Christian witness is this idea of grace. Grace is the unmerited favour of God. And that so reflects the heart of God. That for me is the gospel, church. And the gospel reflects the heart of God that we are called to believe in and belong to. All of these stories that we have talked about, whether it's the parables in Luke 15 or the creation story and the fall, you can, I hope that you see that they don't actually reveal a sin, separation, salvation model. 
but instead they reveal a shame, estrangement, restoration model. And so the mission of God since creation is to help us restore that relationship with ourselves, restore that relationship with God, restore our relationship with one another. Now, so far, we've been talking about our lost identity with God, right? And last week, Pauline shared so beautifully about how we restore an authentic relationship with ourselves. And what does that mean? It means cultivating the courage to live out from a place of being authentic, being aligned to our thoughts, our emotion, and our values. It means to have compassion on ourselves that we are imperfect. It means to set good boundaries and to live out from a place of vulnerability. And when we do that, it helps us to build connection with other people. Which brings us to the second aspect of belonging. And that is how we belong and relate to each other. You know, we are all created for relationship. Not just with God, but with each other as well. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this need of belonging is actually ranked there right above the physiological needs and safety. That's how important it is. A sense of belonging in close social relationships as well as with community is essential for us to survive. It is essential for our well-being because we are a social species and we are not created to survive without one another. When we belong to each other, there is an energy that comes out of that connection. The relationship becomes life-giving. We get both strength and sustenance. This is the outcome when people feel seen, when people feel heard and valued, when people feel that they can freely contribute and freely receive. However, Brene Brown's research also found that although everyone wants to be a part of something, people are becoming increasingly dissatisfied. Why? Because it seems that the very thing that binds people today is not about true belonging, but instead it's about sharing fear and disdain. Or it could be also an increased pressure to fit in. You know, Luke 15 that we just read in the parables wasn't just addressing those who identified with the younger son. Jesus was also responding to the religious leaders who were listening in, right? And responding to their criticism. Not only because like the older brother, they had not realized that all the father had was theirs already, instead of continuing slaving away to earn it, they also believed that being separated from others, having the fear and the disdain of others, was actually on the heart of God, which was again completely opposite to the heart of God. They believed that their worthiness because of their pursuit of God had elevated their identity, that there was supposed to now be a better in-group and a poorer out-group, that those were chosen and those were not chosen. This elevation of their identity excluded those that they deemed who were unclean or unworthy. This elevation of identity created a separation and a fear of others who were unlike them in the name of being holy and pure. This elevation of identity deepened that estrangement from others and completely jeopardizes building community and belonging. But as Pauline reminded us last week, that the goal of holiness is to be made whole, 
The goal of holiness is to be made whole. It is of restoration and not being set apart in our actions. And being set apart in our actions for the purpose of holiness cannot be, sep- be mistaken from separating ourselves from others. Separating ourselves from others is not holiness. And that's why I think it's very beautiful that the word free in FCC is such a foundational value to our community. For those who are new with us, free stands for first realize everyone's equal, not less worthy than our worth and that we need our uh, and that our worth needs to be earned, and certainly not more worthy than others and diminishing the worth of others and living separated from others. Equal worth. And as a church, our mission, and I feel the mission of all churches on God's heart, is to represent this mission, which is to fulfill the fact that we are there to belong to ourselves and belong to one another. That's the mission of the church. And it said so beautifully how this is expressed so beautifully in Ephesians chapter 1 where it says, at the center of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the the church and the church is Christ's body in which Christ speaks and acts and by which Jesus fills everything with His presence. So restoration of wholeness is the mission of God. And the church is the heart of God. Then the church, the priority of FCC and all churches must be to create a place where all people know that they belong to God, belong to themselves, and belong to one another. And when we create the right environment, we collectively feel belonging, which is acceptance, inclusion, respect, and engagement. And when we don't, we collectively, as a collective, we will feel estrangement, insecurity, invisibility, loneliness, and disconnection. Brene Brown says that our yearning for belonging is so hardwired that we often try to acquire it by, as me- by any means possible, including trying to fit in and hustling for approval and acceptance. Not only are these efforts hollow substitutes for belonging, they're also the greatest barriers to belonging. So Myak introduced to us this concept of near enemies and far enemies, right? And a far enemy of belonging is separateness, the complete opposite. But the near enemy, which sounds like belonging, but is actually totally not, is fitting in. I wonder how many of us have ever felt like we have tried to try to fit in somewhere. And I wonder, as you're thinking about it, what is the difference between belonging and fitting in? What do you think is the difference between belonging and fitting in? How is belonging different from fitting in? I invite you to put again your responses into mentee. Belonging is authenticity. That's Belonging is a being. Fitting in is a doing. That's beautiful. Accepted, belonging is accepted as you are. I guess fitting in is changing who you are to be part of a group. Fitting in is a facade 
belonging is whole, fitting in requires corners cut. Such a beautiful analogy. Belonging is you know you're worthy, fitting in is you trying to fake out. Belonging is not having to change, fitting in is having to fit into a mold. Fitting in is compromising yourself, belonging is being as you are. Being a sphere among other spheres instead of becoming a missing piece. Thank you. Belonging is feeling connected. Fitting in is changing to become similar with others. Herd mentality. Indeed. And in her research, Brene Brown asked this to a panel of kids. And here were some of their statements because they get it. We all get it. What's the difference between belonging and fitting in? And some of the statements that came back, just like your responses, were belonging is being accepted for you. Fitting in is being accepted for being like someone else. If I get to be me, I belong. If I have to be like you, I fit in. Belonging is being somewhere you want to be and they want you. Fitting in is being somewhere that you want to be, but they don't care one way or the other. And likewise, in Luke 15, Jesus was speaking directly to the Pharisees that not only are these people of the same worth to you, you elevating yourself and separating yourself and only including others if they fit in and think like you, look like you, and behave like you, is actually going against everything God is about. And you're actually going against God's mission, especially if you say that you're God's representatives. Just as we realize that we belong to God, we are also called, each one of us, and as a church, to create an environment as community where people can belong to each other and not just fit in. This is the church redeeming its purpose to be a place that is free from shame, free to be who God created you to be. And that's when all of us at the Free Community Church are reflecting the heart of God and are living out the mission of God in the world. Amen. Thank you, Gary. As we come to a um, time of Holy Communion, let's prepare our hearts and quieten our minds. We gather each Sunday at this table, even though at this time we are not all physically together, the table of God's feast transcends time and space because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC. You do not have to be baptized. You only need to recognize that God's grace is sufficient. Good Shepherd, we take your care for granted. In the midst of your many blessings, we complain of not having enough. In the presence of danger, we fail to trust your abiding love. 
When you set a table before us, we turn aside from you. Call us back into your fold and help us. Trust your caring presence and provision that our actions may proclaim your truth. All together, please. Surely, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. God forgives our failures and calls us back into the flock. O loving God, our Good Shepherd, we are the sheep of your pasture. You know us by name. We offer grateful thanks for your loving care. Open our hearts and minds to the guiding of your Spirit in our lives. Lead us in right paths that we may serve you in truth and action. Amen. God prepares a table for us, offering us a feast of abundant love. Our cups overflow with the bounty of grace. For our shepherd knows us as no one else can, restoring our souls, healing our brokenness, nourishing us with bread and cup for the life of ministry. We remember how Jesus, our shepherd, took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will the stewards please come forward to distribute the elements? Those who are at home, I mean watching online, this is a time to prepare, um, to prepare your elements and you can partake it together with us.
come to the table and feast with the shepherd. Let us partake of these communion elements together with thanksgiving. Please rise, embody your spirit. And all together, please. God of love, love, you you abide abide with us. us. Your Your loving loving presence stills us. You provide us with all that we need in abundance. Help us love one another in truth and action. Help us give of ourselves to those in need. Help us care for others the way our shepherd cares for us. May our lives reflect our wholehearted trust in our shepherd's everlasting love and care. Amen. Please be seated. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Sunday service of Free Community Church, where free stands for first realize everyone is equal. Um, So, um, whether you are here on site or online, uh, we are so glad to see you again. And and we are an inclusive and affirming church, so this means that you are welcome here regardless of your theological uh, background, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, or any, uh, your economic status, uh, your educational attainment, or any other label that the world has put on you. So my name is Wendy, and I am the service leader for today. Um, So if you're new to our church, uh, we invite you to leave your details with us um, at um, fcc.li.com, and we will uh, will get uh, our pastors and our staff will connect with you. You can also scan the QR code, uh, which will take you to the same uh, form. Okay, we also have a newcomers meeting uh, at the uh, end, uh, near the end of this month. So it will be on the 23rd of July, which is Sunday, right after service. And it will take place in the room next to the hallway in the back. Okay, um, so now let's continue our worship with uh, offering. So offering is a time when we can express our reliance and our gratitude to God. So there are a couple ways you can give electronically. So one is by giving by PayNow, by scanning the QR code on the screen or on the chairs, uh, the back of the chairs in front of you. So uh, one, one QR code is for the general fund, which goes towards paying um, our staff and also the operational expenses of this space. And, uh, and the other one is for the building fund, which goes towards paying our mortgage. You can also give by credit card at freecomchurch.give.asia, um, and there is a 1.5 uh, platform charge, but we are grateful for giving in any form. So uh, let us uh, now um, pray for the offering. God of every good and perfect gift, our gifts, our gifts are not always good, and they're always imperfect. Still, we offer these gifts with boldness, knowing that your love is stronger than our impurities and imperfections. Through Jesus Christ, amen. 
Okay, so now I invite the stewards to uh, come up. So if you uh, are paying, uh, I mean, if you are giving your offering by, uh, by cash, you can raise your hand and they will come to see you. Okay. All right, so while they're going around, we have a few announcements. Uh, so the first announcement is that uh, um, if you, the, the contributions to the, the commemorative, our 20th anniversary commemorative book, um, the deadline for submitting the collages is today. So if you still want to uh, participate, um, you can take a few hours this afternoon uh, to assemble a collage and then uh, email that. And, and if you need more details on how to do that, uh, you can email us and we'll send you the briefing slides with the instructions. Okay, so um, our next after uh, church event is a workshop on uh, portrait drawing. Uh, no experience is necessary, uh, but it, it does take some courage. Uh, next, oh, sorry, uh, it takes place on the 30th of July, which is the last Sunday, and it will be from 1.30 to 3 o'clock. So, like I said, um, even though no experience is required, it will take some courage <laughs> because you will be spending some time, uh, you know, uh, I guess, looking at each other while you're doing the drawing and having some conversations. Uh, and uh, we promise fun. Okay, so, uh, so do uh, register your interest at fcc.li slash ACE. Okay, um, today's lunch khakis uh, is uh, our Lexi, who's at the camera, wave, and also Gordon, who's in the back, wave. <laughs> okay, so uh, they are happy to take you to the nearby coffee shop to have lunch so you can get to know um, them better, uh, get to know other newcomers a little better as well. Okay, so uh, now I invite Pastor Pauline to uh, give us the benediction. Thank you. Will you stand as uh, you're willing and able in body and spirit as you receive the benediction? God, we stand here as your people today because of your love for us, that extravagant, that unconditional, that amazing love that draws us to you, that speaks of our worth in your eyes and therefore our worth in this world. God, we belong to you, and we belong to each other. Help us to grow in our understanding of what that means in our lives. Help us to embody what that means in our lives, in this world that so needs to hear of your love and grace, to hear of their worth and their belonging, and what it means for us to love the way that you have loved us. So God, we thank you for moving in our lives. We pray that this is not just something that you're doing today, but even in the coming week, with each day of the week, even into the coming month, into this whole, the rest of this year, that God begin in us a new work of belonging. And so we want to thank you for being with us. And even as we go out of this place, may God's love and shalom go with you now and always. Amen. So thank you so much for joining us for service today. Uh, please have a wonderful day ahead, wonderful week ahead, and God go with you. <laughs>